everyone. This is Rich Duncan from Ink Heist, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Shane Douglas Keene. And tonight we're talking with horror author Hunter Shea. Um, Hunter, um, we wanted to talk to you for so long, and I don't know if you saw, but we started this series called A Bloody Bestiary, and you were the first person that came to mind for this. Um, I was just curious. I know kind of like Shane and myself, you're real into like creature features, monster films, cryptids, basically all kinds of weird shit. So I was just curious, like, how did your interest in like creature features and like cryptids and all that stuff start? First of all, thank you for having me on, guys. Do you realize Uh, we have known each other for several years now? The both of you have beta read books for me. I've dedicated books to you, and we've never spoken to each other. I know is that bizarre. <laughs> so weird. It's it, it's it's the secret to continuing to like each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I I really became interested in monsters because uh, my mother is the creature from the Black Lagoon. So I can't help. You know, I actually I can blame it all on the other side. My father was he was just he was into monster movies like he was into like the uh, the universal monsters and the Adam Age monsters. And you know, I was born in 68. So as soon as I was old enough not to poop myself on the couch next to him, he had me there and we were watching every late night creature feature. And we had a movie theater two blocks down from us and we had to drive in 10 miles away. So. And there was just no filter. I mean, nowadays they probably call it child abuse and call it social services. But <laughs> back then, it was just family family viewing time, and I loved all of it. I wasn't afraid of monsters and all that stuff. I was afraid. Growing up in the Bronx, I was afraid of people breaking into the house. That was that was my fear. That was our the neighborhoods we grew up in were that way too. You didn't have to fear monsters, just people. Yeah, people sucked. Monsters were cool. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of the opposite. I grew up in the boonies, so. But <laughs> it's funny you mention that because uh, our stories are kind of similar. Like, I got into horror and monster movies and stuff when I'd go and visit my dad on the weekends. He pretty much let me watch, you know, anything I wanted. <laughs> like, you know, I was in, I was, you know, fairly young, probably even prior to middle school. And I know you'll probably roast me for this because I don't think you're a fan of this movie. But, you know, I was watching like Scream and stuff like that. But I also watched, you know, like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, the Friday the 13th movies. So, yeah, it was kind of a similar story. I'm not a fan of Scream, but look, as long as people are watching horror, it's all good. Scream has good looking chicks in it. (laughs) It does that. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, you know, I liked it growing up, but I don't think I could rewatch any of those movies. <laughs> I think I could sit. I could probably get through one. I don't know about the others. I'll probably pull the pin very early. Uh, I never got through one in the first place. I never did enjoy that series in any way, shape or form. You, I know you're more of a, I know what you did last summer guy. <laughs> Not even that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> now, Shane, I know this is Hunter's interview, but have you seen any? I forgot to ask you because I know we've talked about it. And Hunter, you can chime in too. Like, have you seen any '90s horror films? And like, what did you think of those? 
Oh man, not not a lot of them because it honestly that's about what I thought of them is not a lot of most of the stuff that came out of the nineties. Um, I couldn't if you asked me name a nineties horror film, I'd sit here and go, uh, you know, because I don't care. <laughs> well, I think Candyman count. That's the nineties, right? Uh, Candyman rocks. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Now you know what's funny? I hate that movie. <laughs> 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 right on. <laughs> I think it's so boring. And it, I took my daughter. There was like a triple feature at the Alamo Theater, and uh, we went. That was one of them. And when it was over, I said, "What'd you think of Candyman?" Because you know everyone talks about Candyman. She goes, "Dad, that was horrible." It's <laughs> like, all right, my my education of my daughter is complete. <laughs> my my memory of that movie is so sketchy though because it was. Um, I saw it in the theaters when it came out. I was really, really heavy into every drug on the planet at that point in my life. And I honestly would have to watch it again to tell you whether I still like it. But I loved it then. Well, they're remaking it. Jordan Peele's remaking it. So maybe wait for that. Uh, Everything Jordan Peele touches is golden so far, yeah. Except I haven't seen that new Twilight Zone. No, I haven't either. Uh, I've heard... It's not really all that great. I haven't seen it personally, and Shane Shane will tell you too. We're kind of the same way. Like even even horror fans, even if they're like, you know, it's not that great, I'll probably still watch it just to see for myself. Like I knew it couldn't be all that great because they buried it on the like CBS on demand or something. Oh, I hate that thing. <laughs> That's never a good sign. But yeah, so. And as far as, like, uh, switching back cryptids and stuff, like, I know you've gone to the cryptid museum and stuff like that. Is that, and you go to Maine a lot, is that something you, is that a place you go to frequently? And have you developed a, you know, relationship with the curator? I don't want to mess up his name. I think it's Lauren. Lauren Coleman. Yeah, yeah. He's an awesome guy. Um, Yeah, we have a friend. We actually have a friendship. I was hoping he wanted me to edit one of his books and it was it came at a time when just everything fell apart there's just so much going on never got around to doing it Um, uh he he is the guy when it comes to books in that field though isn't he sure is he's he's the guy i mean for everything i mean he's got the people come from all over the world to that museum he had me come up there last labor day for the cryptozoology conference i did one of those things where i worked until 6 30 got in my car drove up to maine so I was there early in the morning to set up. And the awesome thing is if you go there now in Portland, they moved it. And it's on one side of this little area where there's nothing is the cryptozoology museum. And right next to it is a brewery, the Bissell Brewery. Can't beer and cryptids. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to have to make a pilgrimage up there. <laughs> I was sneaking out of that conference and then I was uh, in the the museum and i'm going getting beer and i'm meeting like jeff meldrum and i'm freaking hammered <laughs> oh man i love you so much man on travel channel everything <laughs> yeah that's awesome i've always wanted to go there because you know i'm so fascinated by all of that stuff i don't really know how i got into it like as a kid i would just check these books out of the library left and right Everything you could think of, Mothman, you know, Bigfoot, Loch Ness, all of that stuff. 
Yeah, I can blame like cryptid stuff. That's it all comes from in search of. That was like my baptism into Bigfoot and Loch Ness monster. And really, those are the only two cryptids you could really get anything on the library when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. Same here, man. I think we're of an age when it comes to that because a lot of the stuff you're talking about are the same influences that I grew up on and that what that shaped my uh, twisted sensibilities. And if have you if you watch, you go to YouTube and you watch the old Encertos, turn the lights down and just put your headphones on and just zone to a few episodes. It's effing creepy. It is. <laughs> that with grainy images, it's like you know film stock that's been used for four different like Canadian porno movies and now they're using it in search of <laughs> weird music and freaky Leonard Nimoy and fucking monsters. It's like it's a, it's you don't need drugs, you don't need alcohol. I'm telling you, dark room in search of headphones. You'll just um, flip yourself out. Yeah, especially man, if you take Leonard Nimoy and you split him off from Star Trek and listen to him in a dark room, he's a creepy motherfucker. <laughs> oh, now all we have left is the Shatner. <laughs> exactly, he is all that's left, pretty much. Huh? I'm surprised he hasn't done like an In Search of uh, Revamp that they got the the new spot, right? Uh, oh yeah, uh, Zachary Quinto. Yeah, it wasn't the same. No. No. Yeah, I think that thing kind of just came and went because I was like, oh, maybe I'll check that out. And then, like, it was nowhere. <laughs> I know that disappeared so fast. I never got a chance to. I saw like half an episode and I was like, eh. And then when I tried to look again, I'm like, oh, it's gone. Oh, well. So, uh, Hunter, I know you for your uh, your Patreon page, you do the Clash of the Cryptids. Where it, like, brings, like, a whole lot of your characters and, like, you know, the creatures from your books. And I was just curious, like, how you decided to start that. You know, I get a lot of readers who say, oh, can I see more of, like, uh, the Willett family from Jersey Devil? Or I want to, I, Mostly I got a lot of people wanted Nat and Austin McQueen from Loch Ness Revenge. And yeah. Junk. And, um... A lot of Rooster Murphy from Swamp Monster. Those are like those three characters people love. So maybe I should just put them all together and just put a bunch of cryptids in there and start killing shit. <laughs> <laughs> but then I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it a little different. I'll write like a chapter a week, and then every now and then I'll do a thing where people vote where the story goes next. So it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure. So that way I can't get comfortable. You know, because I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'd really like to do this now. But let me take a poll. And, of course, they always go fucking left when I want to go right. But <laughs> that's the fun part of it. And people get to get their name in there, and I make up characters, and I eventually kill them. So it's all uh, good fun. And there's nothing more fun than having an author waste your ass, you know? Hell, yeah. I mean... <laughs> um, I tell that to my last boss. I don't Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man I, that would be like one of my uh that'd be like one of my horror fan bucket list items to, to end up as like you know one of those early characters in the openings of the book that you're like oh well maybe this is going to be the main character and then just out of nowhere bam done <laughs> so wait you want to be that guy that early off guy yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I, can do, I can do that to you 
<laughs> that would be sweet because sometimes I read books like that and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, I'm starting to get to know this character. And then I'm like, oh, oh shit. You know, that's the early cannon fodder. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I actually have something in mind for you. Oh man, that would be great. I've seen some guys, um, and I won't, I won't digress too much, but I think it was uh, Jonathan Mayberry did Keelan Burke in one of his zombie novels. Oh, and it's right. like, and it was like five pages, and Keelan was dead. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like here he is. Now he's gone. <laughs> is it because he's Irish? Because I'll fucking fight me. Maybe. <laughs> right, right. That makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody respects the Irish. Whatever. Uh, he did. He he was making a lot of fun of him being a mix. So. Uh, you know what's funny? You say that like you, it's almost impossible to insult an Irish person. Like, it really is. I live and I you know grew up in a predominantly Irish neighborhood. Now it's like there's more Irish people here than Dublin. And you can go to any bar and just look at everyone and go, "Your mother sucked my dick," and they'll all be like, "Ah, she sucked mine too." Yeah, suck, suck mine first. <laughs> but if you go like across town to the all Italian neighborhood, it's totally different. Oh man, yeah, no kidding. And I won't even go there. I, I grew up in an all Irish family. I had the same kind of upbringing. Um, my family wasn't necessarily super. My the older people in my family weren't super fond of Italians. No, my grandmother wasn't. She'd be. Thank God she's dead. Didn't realize I married one. Yeah. <laughs> that would not have gone over well. But the difference there is, like you were saying, is that uh, it's it's impossible to insult an Irishman, but it's really easy to insult an Italian. <laughs> Sometimes it's like a look. Maybe it's just walking past to get your drink. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In all those situations. Nothing like a, getting a, a punch in the back of your skull for just sitting there drinking. <laughs> what the hell did I do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're holding your glass wrong. <laughs> like, I'm not even angry with you. I'm just fucking confused. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too fucking confused to be mad. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> not even an instinct to throw back. You're just like, what? Can we sit and talk about this for a second? <laughs> Oh, I, I don't miss my youth. So I have. Speaking of your youth, I have a question for you, if that's okay with Rich. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you ever done any urban exploration, Hunter? Not in like the official way that people do it now, but when I was young, yes. Anything yeah. that was abandoned, we crawled into, and, you know, set up little like you know home bases and abandoned homes, and we had like just abandoned schools around here and stuff. Kind of the fascination of young boys is to find places to hide out. And you were always hoping to find porno. Like, oh, absolutely. Like the porno, Rich, I don't know how old you are. You might be too young for this, but porno newspapers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not familiar with those. <laughs> yeah, grainy black and white photos of candy samples and John Holmes. Yeah. Yeah, like they're like little porno tabloids is what they're like. 
<laughs> and if you got like a like a half a hustler somewhere, you're like, oh my god, find the century. Uh, me and my cousin were magnets, so man, we went looking for you know those little places to hide out, like you were talking about, and um, places to explore and stuff like that. We almost always seem to attract to the places with the porn. I, I, it's something about well, you know, we know what went on in those. Yeah. We used to go um, where I grew up. I grew up like two blocks from where Steven Tyler grew up. And there's a reservoir. And there used to be this just abandoned, I guess it was the reservoir keeper's house. I don't know. But it just came, you know, became a place for people to do drugs, screw, drink. But there was one room for some reason me and my friends liked to go into that looked like it was covered in blood from floor to ceiling. Now, I don't know what that was probably paint, but it looked like a like a crazy-ass abortion room. That was, like, our favorite room to hang out in. And uh, we used to, like, sit on the windowsills and shoot rats with BB guns. And uh, I was reading the Aerosmith biography, and Steven Tyler was talking about shooting rats at the reservoir. I'm like, all right, see, that's that's what we do here. <laughs> and we are talking about the Steven Tyler, of course. The, yes, um, one and only. I uh, drove that guy to the state fair here in Oregon one time when I was working at the Shummery Inn Motel down in Salem. Was this before he started looking like an old grandma? Uh, <laughs> no, he pretty much looked like an old grandma, but he got me fucked up after the show, so it was pretty righteous anyway. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they uh, pretty much everyone in the room that wasn't a groupie when I went up to to their room later that evening uh looked like my grandma but they but they were dudes right <laughs> <laughs> grandma's with dicks exactly i'm not even gonna think about that <laughs> it start a oh, whole man. new fetish oh so <laughs> to get kind of get us back on track <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is what Jason deals with on Final Guys. This is yeah. Hey, I, I, I personally, I'm having a blast with it. But <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I did want to ask you is, I know, I know you've written for you know Sam Haynes, Severed Press, and now Flame Tree. But um, I know with uh, Sam Hain you worked with Don Dioria, and now you're working with him again at Flame Tree. So it's kind of like, you know, maybe aside from a couple of books here and there, you've probably been with Don for a bulk of your career. You know, what was it like working with Don originally when you got your start? And what's it been like now that you're able to reconnect with him over at Flame Tree? Yeah, I told him he's not getting rid of me till we both are retired or dead. Um, when I first wanted to be an, an author, I read every leisure book that that was my I, I noticed that that horror line let their authors just do whatever. It wasn't like the cookie cutter it was anything. It was great writers. I found out by reading, oh, a lot of people thank this editor, Don Dioria. So when I was writing my first book, Forest of Shadows, I said, I think I know what he likes. He seems to like what I like. We seem to be similar, whoever this guy is. Like I imagine like almost like this Holy Moses guy on the throne. And um, just wrote my book going, you know, I think I think we're on the same wavelength. I hope so. And I sent it unsolicited to him and only him. And I said, if he doesn't pick up the book, then fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> just the dumbest thing to do. Um, 
But it went on the slush pile for a couple of years, and then he read the synopsis, and then he read 50 pages. I mean, it took altogether about five years to go from submission to him accepting the book, and I swear to God, only time in my life I've been speechless. I got the email at work, read the thing, and this is when he was at Dorchester, so this was, like, my goal was to be a leisure author. And I just read the email saying, you know, we'd like to offer you a contract. And I never forget, I just... Looked at the email, got up, and just went to my car. It was like 12 o'clock <laughs> and drove home. <laughs> Couldn't even tell anybody where I was going. It was just crazy. But, yeah, I, but it's a good thing then. If the, if you're just going to say, okay, if he takes it, great. If he doesn't, fuck it, I'm done. So, you know, thank you to Don for actually taking it because a lot of good has happened along the way since then. I mean – I asked him one time, I said, you know, why did that, why why'd you take that story? Said, you know, because I was reading all these manuscripts and he goes, it was the only one where I got emotional in the end. Because, and I was like, if you could make me do that, then you got something. So that book never got published by Dorchester because it went out of business. And he said, just, you know, hold on, I'll find, you know, I'll finally call you. And uh, Sam Hain came, followed him. And then when Sam Hain fell apart, at least I wasn't ready to jump off a roof because at least I had other, you know, I was working with Pinnacle and Sinister Grin and Severed. But as soon as he got the flame tree, we met uh, at uh, at our bar. And I was like, all right, you ready for a book? He goes, tell me what you got. So I started talking about Creature. And that's a really personal book. And I remember when I was done, you go, I'm like, yeah, it'll be a piece of cake. I know the source I was done six months later. I'm like, what the hell was I thinking, man? That nearly killed me. I can now, if I may interject something slightly personal, um, I can see how that would be because you live very closely with that particular issue. Um, way too close. Way too close, yeah. And and I live pretty close with it too. And that book fucked me up. Yeah, it was. It was rough. I kept going, like the first draft. Thank God that didn't get published because that was just I'm like who could slog this like that was <laughs> that was like but, therapy like all just spilling out of me. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. And, and let me clarify when I say that book fucked me up to anybody listening. That I don't mean that as a bad thing. An author that can do that to you is a damn good author. There's just no way around it. But he, in order for an author to fuck you up, he has to fuck himself up first. I now I don't I'm not a crier I didn't cry at the take something catastrophic I'm writing the last few chapters of that book in a library with my best friend who's a graphic artist and when I'm done I just get up and I go down to the bathroom and I cry I'm like this isn't how horror authors should do books I shouldn't be in this bathroom crying it wiped me out totally. But the good thing is, I know Don, he's not just an editor now, Like he's a very good friend, and I knew he'd have my back because I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I thought maybe I wrote it just to hand over to a therapist, and I'd have to write something. I went through a few drafts, talked to Don about it and everything, and then the final product came out. I was like, all right, I'm happy with it. My wife still hasn't read it, which might be good. Uh, yeah, probably, huh? <laughs> <laughs> she tries. She gets like some, like 30 pages. She goes, I can't write. 
Uh, kudos, credit to her for trying in the first place, though. Yeah. I said I'll tell you the end. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was going to ask you about that book. So if that was the first one that you had pitched um, to Don, I know when I read it, you know, I knew it was something that was very personal to you. But I think that, like, probably more than some of the other books, that that's the one that resonates with readers the most, probably because, you know, it was so personal. It, it totally has. I have gotten more communication uh, from people, just individual people who suffer from autoimmune diseases. I've had the Lupus Foundation reach out to me, Ellis Danlos Foundation. I actually, through work, was able to raise a few thousand dollars them around the holiday season. So... It's been cool. It's been really touching to see how that book has affected some people. Especially Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. It's such a rare uh, disorder to have, and a lot of people have it. Think when they see that in an actual book, and then I point them to like, yeah, you know, there's some actors that have this, and so it opens up this dialogue, which was really cool. Something completely, I didn't even think of, I didn't think that far ahead. I was just trying to tell the story. But I think that's a book I could probably promote and keep working with for the rest of my life. Just by the impact it seems to have on people have this weird, strange, rare thing that nobody else has around. So, yeah, that's what I'd seen where you had mentioned that, and I was going to kind of touch on that to, you know, see if, you know, how you felt about that. But um, I know most of your books, too, kind of. Like I think there's a couple others that are, you know, kind of personal. I know you wrote one. I think it's called The Waiting, right? The one about the ghost. Yeah. That, is, that was literally. I wanted to tell the true ghost because where we we just moved, where we were before 26 years, we lived in a two-family house with a boy. And I wanted to tell that story, true story, but Sam Payne didn't do that. I had to fictionalize it, and then, you know. Then, you know, when you're creating fiction, you have to you have to have answers, you know, and you have to create a whole different story line with it. But that was fine. It, it, kind of, it got the, the meat of the real story out there, which I then told on Jim Harold's Empire Tales. Yeah, so, too, I was just curious because, like, I know you've mentioned that particular, you know, spirit in your house did you have anything happen to you like you know leading up to your big move or no my wife did whatever that's that boy was well we found out what he was because uh, i had asked around and everything and nobody had any answers we lived on a small block with six houses there used to be a reservoir there but now there was a field and um out of like thin air the woman who owned the house, who's in her late 80s, started talking to my daughter, and she started talking about sons when they were there, and there was a boy who was one of their friends who fell right outside the pipe. Wow. And he was about the age of the kid that we kept seeing. So we found that out just before we were ready to leave, and then uh, my wife said that she was packing up like about three weeks before we And she saw him she kept seeing him walking because there's a certain area of the house where he'd walk, and he wasn't like a spirit. He looked like 
full grown, a full person. Couldn't see through him. And she said, all right, he's here. So she just started talking to him to let him know that we were leaving and that she was so glad that he was there with her all the time. And she was like making this nice farewell. And she says, you know, other people will come here and they'll be here and you won't be alone and all the stuff. She said after she was done, she said her piece, and then she started doing something. She said right by her ear, she heard goodbye. That's weird. And then I'm not telling you for the next till we left, it just felt weird and empty. It felt like a different house. How strange. That's that's just chilling to me. And that, see, I don't know the story because that's probably the one of two or three Hunter Shea books I've never read. Yeah, I mean, if it, it's, well, I don't think you can find it anywhere now. I gotta get that back out. Yeah, I think I think I have that, but yeah, that's kind of. I'm glad you shared that with us because you know, through watching Monster Men and Final Guys and reading your work over the years, like it's kind of cool to know that, like, you know, there was resolution to that. You know, there isn't always in real life haunting cases, but in your case, it's kind of cool that you know it had a resolution it's weird how in the last few months it all came together we had an answer what we think is the answer because before that we kept thinking uh my mother-in-law had two stillborn sons and we because this boy would only show up when my wife was sick and her family thought oh it's her brothers coming back to be with her to help watch over her so that was like the prevailing thought until we found out that there actually was a boy um and then to have my wife have that conversation and to hear him for her to hear him say goodbye it's kind of it gave me when she told me every hair on my body was on end yeah that's what it just happened to me when you told me so i can imagine with it being much more personal to you guys that that was kind of chilling he was my third child that didn't cost me a penny, but I also couldn't claim him as a uh, exemption on my taxes. <laughs> the freeloading little son of a bitch. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. We we always we keep wondering if he'll pop up here. I mean, we're only across town so far now. Yeah, that would be interesting because that you know I've heard of that kind of stuff happening in the past, but. Hey, we'd be perfectly happy because he was not a scary ghost. In fact, whenever you, whenever he was in the house, it was this instant feeling of calm would come over everybody. He was like the opposite of what you think of as a ghost. You always see a ghost, you know, run, get some Scooby snacks when you're done. <laughs> totally different. Like you saw him and you're like, all right, everything's, everything's cool, man. Yeah, I grew, I grew up in a pretty haunted house. Um, in southeast Portland, and it was, uh, but it was not in anything like a everything's cool situation. Um, it was scary as fuck. <laughs> I, I don't think I'd like that <laughs> at all. And it was, yeah, and it was kind of, you know, we, we we grew up poor, otherwise that house would have been in our past two days after we moved into it. Oh, wow. You know? <laughs> How long were you in there? Uh, five years total, I think. Oh, Man. five years of terror. Yeah, yeah. It was, but I mean, we got used to it. It was kind of funny because we had a, it was just two upstairs rooms. Um, Your bedroom? No, yeah, nothing. Well, no, they weren't. They were my sister's bedrooms. Oh. Um, 
you know, which I terrorize my sisters frequently. I can see why you'd want to. <laughs> but but uh, it was weird because we'd from downstairs, you'd hear all this shit going on up there. Um, and my sisters would have stuff like some things pulling their hair while they're sleeping and shit like that. So they they both moved down to my bedroom and I moved upstairs and it, nothing ever fucked with me at all. Yeah, it didn't like you. Or like girls. <laughs> or didn't like girls. <laughs> it, just, it, just, it just looked, you know, like, eh, I don't like your kind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks for ruining a good thing. Exactly. You voluntarily moved up here. You're not afraid. Fuck you. Go away. <laughs> I really do believe that there's a living part of it to any haunting. It's not just haunt. It's not just like you know the haunted closet. No. Uh, it's it's the person in the closet. The living person in the closet that like both sides have to kind of meet in the middle. It's it's kind of funny you say that because like as I'm listening, you guys tell your stories. It, it's kind of weird that, um, like, I've, I've lived in at least three places where I'm pretty sure they were haunted. So now I'm, like, thinking, you know, if I'm, like, that guy from Insidious or whatever. Yeah, they're not haunted. <laughs> you are. <laughs> yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of what I'm afraid of. I not that. Done to you. Yeah, no. The, the only one that was kind of scary was when I was younger, but... Even then, it wasn't too bad, but I thought that was interesting that you said that. Um, it is interesting, because in a way, I mean, if you think about it, most people who have experienced hauntings have experienced more than one. Yes, and I have noticed that if if somebody's had a paranormal experience, you have different types of Absolutely, absolutely. It's not just restricted to whatever that one certain thing was. Right, coming from the guy who saw an enormous UFO with thousands of people. I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up, because I was going to ask you about that. Because <laughs> I know, I, like me, you're, you're really into the whole UFO thing, and I knew you had that story. And I was just curious, I know you did the Dover Demon, but have you ever thought about, and I don't want to give anything away for people who haven't read the Dover Demon, but have you ever thought about doing like a straight up, you know, UFO slash, you know, alien type novel? I think about it all the time. I just I haven't found the right angle. You know, I was going to say I I would I would, you know, rob a bank to try and commission you to write that because I'm like, man, if anybody could because I'm always looking for, you know, a traditional alien like you have somewhere they're like weird monsters or you know, parasites or some other kind of form. But I'm like, man, if anyone could write a scary as shit UFO alien story, like traditional aliens, I'm like, it's Hunter. <laughs> but trust me, I have, I think I've started and stopped about 15 books or short stories with aliens. I'll, I'll get it. One of these days it will hit me. On a but, side note, you mentioned the Dover Demon. Lauren Coleman at the Cryptozoology Museum was the one who told me to write about the Dover Demon. Gave me the lowdown. Yeah, I one of the scariest scenes I think that you've written was in that book. <laughs> really? Yeah, um, the scene where the woman had all the cameras outside of her house. Oh, yeah, well, and that's 
that scared the shit out of me. I'll be honest. Because, <laughs> like, aliens, I'm very interested in them, but they also scare the shit out of me. And when I read that, I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to go to sleep tonight. <laughs> Let me tell you, if aliens are real, they should scare the shit out of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they're not going to be anything friendly or even recognizable. No. <laughs> Not at all. They'll probably look like that thing from Arrival. Those, whatever the hell those things were. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's probably a good comparison. But yeah, definitely, I think something to be terrified of. And it is. You can talk ghosts. You can talk monsters. Anything else? And that stuff is all you know academic to me. You start talking aliens, and that scares the hell out of me. Here, here's the deal. They're on two ends of the spectrum. Aliens scare the shit out of me. My daughter, who loves horror, if you even mention, if you even look at the sky and you look askance at the night sky, she goes, what, what, what? <laughs> she, like, loses her mind. So that scares me. Ghosts comfort me because, to me, if that's real, it's proof of the afterlife. It means um, this, this whole shit show can end, but you can go on to something hopefully better. Hopefully better, yes, yes. Um, as long as there's no hell, I'll go on to something better. Right. Hopefully, like, the next world isn't, like, you know, living in Bulgaria forever. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not sure about the living in Bulgaria being better, but... Uh... <laughs> hey, we can go to Greece for vacation anytime we want. There you go. <laughs> so, so uh, no- oh, go ahead, Shane. No, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to dive into talking about Slash because Shane and I both read this a couple weeks ago. Well, I finished up last week. And, um, you know, it was such a great book. Like, I, I'd been out of Slashers for a long time. And when I saw that you were releasing this Slasher book, I knew I had to read it. And I was just curious about because you've written so many books, what made you want to tackle the slasher genre? Well, look, I'm a guy with a Jason tattoo, so I love slashers. Um, I just said, I said, you know, I, I did something really heavy and emotional, Flame Tree. The next book I want to do, I want to do something like fun and wicked and gory. I'm like, I got to do a slasher because there aren't many slasher books out there. Um, and I want to do like kind of a I know people are fascinated with, look, I'm one of the final guys, so that whole term of final girls, I wanted to kind of weave that in there, and it was it was weird because I'm a nighttime writer, but the last year I worked at a job that, like, by the time I get home, I ain't got nothing left. I can't even, like, write a check. So I would get up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and just put the laptop on my lap with my eyes barely open and just start typing, and... There was a period of time I'm going, this book is like a fever dream. I'm like, this is going to have to be heavily edited. The weird shit that comes out of your head at that time in the morning. When you're writing about weird shit (laughs) to begin with. (laughs) I was like, oh, God. But for me, the key was, especially if I'm going to write that early in the morning, I want to have fun with it. Like, I wanted people to have fun. So there's some characters that are a a little deeper, but... I wanted to stick to, like, Slasher. You don't really get to know everybody. There's a lot of surface kind of people out there. And there's people that, no matter how smart you think they are, do really stupid things. Um, and I wanted to keep it in New York. I wanted to do another book in New York. And I said, oh, 
Catskills are good because there's a the old Nebuli Resort that I drive by every year when I get to the Catskills. It looks really creepy. And I was like, I should do something based on the, like the Nebuli. So I've been, I've been toying with that idea. And then when I thought of doing a slasher, I said, let me just put those two together. And, of course, it's a Hunter Shea slasher. Hunter Shea, pardon me. Um, am I pronouncing that right? Shea? Yeah. Yeah, as in shea butter, as in spread me on your body. That's what I thought. <laughs> That's what I thought. I'm, gonna, I'm just walking right past that comment. <laughs> just stole every thought out of my head right there, Hunter. I'm um, very good at that. <laughs> But what I was saying is that it, being a Hunter Shea book, this is no normal slasher novel. No, nothing, <laughs> nothing even remotely normal about this book. Like, I, I finished this book. I messaged Rich at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning and said, <laughs> we need to talk about Hunter. <laughs> is there, wait, is there going to be an intervention? <laughs> I've been um, dying for one. I think it was a. It was just a. I mean, I a book that long has not blazed through my brain so quickly in years. Oh wow, that's awesome, man! Thank you. And Rich is the same way. I'm pretty damn sure he he blazed through it as fast as I did. Oh yeah, absolutely. I told Shane like I started because I have like a weird reading schedule now with the hours I work and my daughter. But I'd started it the one day and I read like maybe the first third. And then the next night I made it from, you know, about the 30 percent mark to about, you know, halfway. And then from there, I just finished the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I will tell you, writing a slasher is scary work because people who like slashers are just they know that genre inside and out. And there were certain sacred cows within it. So I was like. It's like, man, I hope I get this right. But I'm one of those people, so I I think I know what I'm doing. Yeah, and I think yeah, and you plus you're really really familiar with just um this the um campy kind of feel of 80s films in general and 70s films to some degree. Yeah, it's um, like 70 films were just like fucking dour as hell. Exactly. <laughs> just no happiness there. Um, no, no, and so often uh, no interest level whatsoever there either. <laughs> um, but uh, what the hell was I saying? <laughs> you, just, you just keep thinking of shea butter. Tell me. <laughs> That's exactly it. And actually, I'm rubbing some on my body right now. <laughs> uh, you know, it's good on a hot summer day. <laughs> <laughs> so uh hunter i was curious i don't have you ever read uh keelan bat patrick burke's kin oh i love that book <laughs> oh man yeah when i first started slash you know it's definitely its own thing but i was telling shane because he hadn't started it yet and i was like man i was like this is such a cool thing because it kind of starts out like that book where you pick up you know after you know the main massacre basically right and then you work your way through it and then obviously as you go through more crazy stuff happens but i was just curious 
did you always plan on starting slash, you know, kind of from the quote unquote end and then working to a new beginning? Yes. I knew I wanted to start the book with a final girl who's at, who's just had enough. So I knew that was going to be my starting point. Um, and where I write very organically. So literally halfway through the book, I had no idea where, where it was going. Believe it or not. I just know, oh, yeah, I'm going to have this killer or whatever. That probably could, oh, go ahead. I was saying, but I'd like to have a killer that there's an actual, there's a reason behind their abilities. And I couldn't figure that reason out. It, it, it took me through almost three quarters of the way book, of, of the way into the book. I was like, oh, yes, this is it. But that's the thing. Like a lot of people like that'll cripple them. They'll just stop the writing process. And I'm just, what I do is like first draft, just fucking do it. And you know what? Your subconscious will figure it out sooner or later. You'll get the answer. Most times I get the answer when I'm driving to work. Yeah, and that's a, that's common. I mean, most good writers will give you very similar advice to that. It's like, you know, if you ask Joe Lansdale, how do I be a writer? He says, sit your ass in a chair and fucking write. That's right. He's That guy's not writing any outlines and shit. He's just writing. Yeah. <laughs> and But the thing about you writing that way is that it has that effect on your reader where you didn't know where the hell it was going until three quarters of the way through caused me not to know either. It works. I'm confused. You're confused. We're all confused. We're all confused. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? My favorite thing is that flame tree puts on the cover of the book. The Wraith is back. So I've gotten more questions. People going, dude, where's, where's the other book? (laughs) Did you write another Wraith book? Like where's the first Wraith book? (laughs) Yeah. I got the, I got that a few times with people when I was talking about it on Twitter where they'd say, um, so which which book was the Wraith in in the first place? Let's just tell them uh, Loch Ness Revenge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's in there. We'll find them. Uh, every single book he's ever written, man. Where have you been? They, they've all been leading to this moment. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's kind of cool, though, that they did that, because now they kind of box, them, box themselves in a corner where they got to let you do another one. <laughs> exactly. And I could do what uh, Jason Brands hates the most in the world is a prequel. And I might just do it just to piss him off. Exactly. Tell, him, tell him he has to be the beta reader. <laughs> Uh, I hope he listens to this. <laughs> you know what? He doesn't work, so he's got plenty of time. <laughs> it's like me. He has no fucking life. He can listen to it and like it. Yeah, he just sits around all day drinking and writing a few words. <laughs> uh, Jason, we love you, man. I know you don't know me, but I love you anyway. I've got this butter on my body and <laughs> thinking of you. You know what? I, I've got to say, I'm a huge fan of Final Guys. I'm very proud of Jason from straying away from really interesting. <laughs> really interesting. Aspect ratio is really interesting. That's what happens when you hammer somebody uh, so many times, they'll stop. Although I don't stop with my thing. So. In his defense, like, he's... All of you guys seem very natural at doing that. I don't know how you do it. Like, this is our second one. And I could see why he would say that over and over, because sometimes I catch myself, like, either stuttering over questions or 
I oh. get so nervous and I'm like, oh crap, do I sound like a total a hole? <laughs> Our problem uh, is a lot of times when we've had way too much to drink, and you know we can't we listen back. I'm like, oh my god, did I just call that dude a pedophile? Oh. <laughs> On the air? <laughs> Those damn drinking rules. Let me check with my lawyer. Oh, that's right. I'm a horror writer. I can't afford a lawyer. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a strong proponent of the I have no fucking money, so sue me. Exactly. You could take everything I don't have. Exactly. <laughs> so if I may interject, I remember to where – see, that's my problem is I don't, stu- I don't stutter. I fucking forget what I was talking about. <laughs> What I was talking about earlier that I totally forgot was that you managed to bring such a cinematic feel to Slash that it was like reading a horror movie. That you, you know what? You just made you just made my heart grow, my dead heart grow three sizes. Because <laughs> that's honestly what I was going for. Because some yeah. books, like you hear the words in your head, you hear the dialogue, and just like your fingers type it. That book, I was seeing everything in my head. And that's and that was what uh, I was doing too. Is I wasn't so much reading it as I was just watching it as I went through the pages. Um, it was so easy to do that because it was so spot on. Um, like you say, there are things that you just don't violate in that uh, genre with that trope. Um, and it was like, well, like stupid decisions. Oh yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, how important do you think that is to the genre as far as f- films go? That's very important because intelligent people who are thinking straight just get the fuck out. <laughs> they find a way to get out and they're gone. Exactly. But you need them running around like chickens with their heads cut off and so stressed and freaked out. And what I did with Slash, these people are older. So they're like in their late 20s. They should know better. And they think they know better. Until they get in that situation, and then they're reduced to moronic teens running around for their lives. Right. This isn't the teen scream thing. And in fact, the only teens in the in the story that I can recall were actually trying to do the smart thing. Yes. <laughs> that doesn't work either. Exactly. You're just like flies in a web. <laughs> You're stuck. <laughs> So, yeah, going back to, uh, you know, the whole, like, tropes and all of that stuff, I was just curious. You kind of, you give him an origin story, but it's a little bit different than, you know, most horror films. Like, most horror films, the first film lays out the background, the backstory, but we don't really learn much about the Wraith until way, way later in the novel. And I was just curious... Like if you always if you were conscious of that and, you know, without going in the spoilers, how you develop the wraith. Yeah, that was very much intentional because I look the first Friday, the 13th, you don't get that story until it's almost over. It's almost time to go. you got to get your hand out from under that girl's bra. got to zip up your pants, move the popcorn into the middle of the, the car to drive in. And then you see the head go off, and it's time to go. So, yes, it was very – I was very conscious of I don't want to reveal this too soon. Um, and I just – like I said, it was part of – it was also 
like that book was rewritten quite a few times because I wanted to get the Wraith part right uh, and get the reveal right and get the background right, but I didn't want to make the story too heavy with background. I want to leave enough mystery so you can because if you explain too much, then it takes away the fear. You know, we fear the unknown. If you know too much, then you know it takes a level of the fear away. Um, and it takes that where you where you stop doing that. No, you dumbass, don't fucking do that. Turn around and go the other way. Um, <laughs> if the if the fear isn't there, then the the reaction to those uh, like we were talking about those bad decisions just isn't there because you right. just don't care. And I tried to do a few opposite things in slashers. Like, like, the wraith is not a slow slasher. <laughs> He's like a fucking cheetah when he needs to be. And um, slow, slow when he wants you to shit yourself. <laughs> exactly. If he's slow, it's intentional and you're scared. Yeah. And he's just going, yeah, go ahead, whatever you do, it doesn't matter because I'm going to get you. Yeah, that's what I thought was interesting about the Wraith because, like, that's, you know, another horror trope is a lot of these slashers. They are always, like, you know, kind of plotting and, like, you know, I'm just going to walk slowly after you and, like, they could be the other characters could be running as fast as they can. And this guy's just, you know, walking real slow. It was kind of interesting to see a bit of a change from that. Like this guy can move. Yeah. Like I always wondered, like in Halloween, what is, if Jamie Lee Curtis just makes a left and just runs up the street as fast and far as she can, he's never going to get her. Not at that pace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's not even going to know what way she went. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I to me is a genius. It's one of my favorite movies, and it's polarizing. I know. It follows. Oh, dude. Yeah, I yeah. love that movie. Because it's kind of a slasher. It's kind of a possession movie. I just I and I love that idea of yeah, you can keep running, but it's always going to be following you, no matter how far you go. And when it does catch up to you, you could be surrounded by a hundred friends. They ain't going to see it. And even if you see it, you're not going to know because it changes shape. That's, just, that's an amazing idea. And yeah, and the, the and the the knowledge that you can't run forever. Right. So, so no matter how fucking slow it's following you, it's going to get there eventually. Yeah. We, <laughs> at most, what are you going to fly to Spain? You get like a good weekend, and then it's going to come right out of the ocean at you. Exactly. But I also like the idea of like she was surrounded by her very her friends and her sister and it didn't matter because they can't see it. So they can't really help you. In essence, you're on your own. Um, Yeah, I think that was probably one of the most chilling films I've seen in a while. And for for all the reasons you mentioned, um, the fact that it was it it was like a slasher flick, like you said in that kind of the Michael Myers following you slowly down the street fashion. But uh, anyway, it's funny. I digress. You mentioned Michael Myers because especially the opening scene when that girl is running out in the street and the shot of the neighborhood, the neighborhood is intentionally supposed to look like Haddonfield. And he used the same lens Carpenter used to shoot the huh. outdoor scenes. I did not know that. That's interesting. That's why when I saw what the minute I saw that movie, I got like nipples. We're going into full hard mode. Why am I getting like this? And the music, I'm like, because it's that kind of like that uh, disaster piece does the music. 
that's like that kind of repetitive John Carpenter sound. Uh, just that's classic Carpenter without the Carpenter around. Without the Carpenter in it, yeah. Not the body bags, Carpenter. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so Hunter, I know you've watched probably more slashers than just about anyone else I know. Being totally unbiased. If you took the Wraith and you put him in a cage match with all the other slasher icons, how do you think he would make out? Ooh. Hmm. I think he'd do pretty well because he can match them. He can match like a Jason when it comes to strength and the Michael Myers. Freddie might think he's a wise ass and funny guy, but he'll kill Freddie, even though Freddie would be at home in the Catskills home of all those force felt comedians which is what he became eventually um i think the wraith would hold his own man and they all have an achilles heel i don't know if they'd be smart enough to figure out what his is yeah that's that's an interesting interesting take that's kind of my thought on it too is and it, i mean it really it's hard for me to even talk about that subject without just spoiling the fuck out of your book yeah, that's it's like I gotta learn to dance around this thing. <laughs> exactly, because <laughs> I don't I don't want to reveal what the name is, what he's associated with. I can, I want to keep ah, that. Ah. So that's why I like the fact I gave him a name, the Wraith, which is yeah, that that's good. That gives and that gives people like me something to latch onto, so I don't drop that one fucking word that makes me the world's biggest asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and there is one word, definitely. <laughs> it's funny, too, because when we were both reading this, like, Shane would, you know, type certain things out, and I would tell him certain things, but keep it vague. And then right. he would, you know, comment on it. And I'm like, man, I can't wait until you just finish it, and we could just have, like, all the discussions about this. Spoiler discussion. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, re- it was really difficult to, like, try and talk to him about it while he was still going through it. Oh, the first Amazon review will totally fucking spoil the whole <laughs> <laughs> Always. But, you know, I can't control that. That always cracks me up, too. Like, they'll put a spoiler in the title and then, like, the body, it'll say spoilers below. And it's like, yeah. well, <laughs> a little late for that. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. Thank you, <laughs> professional reviewer. <laughs> so, I guess from your headline... <laughs> You know what's funny? I was just, for shits and giggles, I was looking I for Forest of Shadows. I put that back out on my own. Oh my God, maybe is it two years ago? But anyway, I was just looking at it, and I saw a review recently. People talking about pointlessly offensive, disgusting. Why was there so much sexiness? And I'm reading with my wife before, and I go, she goes, there's like a paragraph of a husband and wife trying to fuck each other before the baby interrupts. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that's the public that's literally all there is if that a paragraph yeah (laughs) that's like and that's the second review i've gotten on that book talking about the explicit sex i'm like but i've had sex in other books that nobody writes about (laughs) it's weird that's insane i love it though i would like to get like a t-shirt made that has like every bad review I have. I just fucking wear that all the time. You know, it's funny. Um, I think Shane, I don't know if you know him, Hunter, but uh, Shane and I know him pretty well. I think Alan Baxter made a shirt like that. 
with like Did a he? bad. I think yeah, I think he got a bad review, and I think he made a shirt about it. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, Shane, and I don't know if I'm even remembering it correctly, but. I know there was someone that we both know that did that, where they put, like, their worst review on a T-shirt. <laughs> I do remember that, and I think it was actually Michael Griffin that did that, and it was S.T. Okay. that wrote it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I remember seeing that and thinking it was so awesome, but I couldn't remember which author. Um, yeah, it was uh, actually, I think it was his publisher, Ross... Uh, Word horde guy, I can't remember his last name right now. Um, and uh, St. Joshi trashed Michael Griffin badly, and they both loved it so much they put it on the back cover of his book as a blurb. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's a, a pretty clear memory. I could be totally off base about that, but. I'm, now I'm going to ask Michael after we're done. <laughs> yeah. Both of our <laughs> memories are shit. <laughs> I know a lot of writers are terrified of, of reviews, good or bad, but especially bad. And I'm like, you, you got a bad review. I'm like, you know what? You want bad reviews because you want everybody to read your book and everybody has a different opinion. You know, yep. and yep. nothing is more funny than the bad reviews. And I'm much more likely to read a book that I see has four stars than I am to read a book that has five. If it, I can't tell you how many books I've seen that have just nothing but five-star reviews, and I pick it up. I'm like, this looks like it was written by a four-year-old. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, nah, that's always suspect to me. You got five stars across the board, then your grandma and your mom and your sister wrote those reviews for you. Yeah. You know, if any authors out there, if you think bad reviews are bad, read Stephen King's shit reviews. Ernest Hemingway's, Faulkner's, they all got terrible reviews. I've had I've had authors, though, that completely ghosted me after I gave them a three-star rating on a book. So, it happens. What? Only three? That was, yeah. That's the line in the sand? <laughs> um, anymore, it seems to be a lot of people, if you're not giving them four and above, they feel like you destroyed them. Let me tell you. know what? Sometimes, especially if you get a preponderance of three-star reviews... Maybe you have to look deep inside and be honest with yourself. Because sometimes every author writes a book or two, and they go, ah, that wasn't my best effort. Maybe I deserve that. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, what the fuck does it matter? You know? It, it doesn't, I don't think. But, you know, but then I'm kind of biased there because I'm prone to writing reviews and saying whatever the fuck I actually think about the book. You know? And that's what we need people to do. You know, and if you're going to be a writer, you better just get a thick skin. You don't like you don't like a bad review. Just go find your wife and go have sex or do something. Play, exactly. Play do find somebody that you already know approves of you. Go to an Italian <laughs> bar and start a fight. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to punch out fucking the situation right now. <laughs> I'd yeah. watch that. <laughs> hey, if they pay me, I'd do it. <laughs> I'd have to get paid pretty good. <laughs> they got to pay me at least a case of Corona. <laughs> uh, I'm Irish, so, you know, half case will get me half part, part of the way there at least. <laughs>
You can actually, you could probably just pay me with a fucking PBR. You know, give me a forty. I'm good. Oh, I had a PBR today. It was delicious. <laughs> I am fond. I'm fond of the white trash beer. But totally. I can go snob and I can go totally low. What was I drinking last week? Oh, Milwaukee's best ice. Oh no. I had a tall boy of that. Unashamedly that, drinking it. Oh, that stuff is. I remember when I was in college, man, we used to drink every kind of crap beer. We were at this one party and they poured, I don't even know what they called it, but they came up with a name for it. They ran out of kegs, so they were just buying cases of beer. I think they mixed Milwaukee's best, Keystone, and one of the other, you know, in the. Was Holy Trinity, yeah, the other in the Holy Trinity of crappy beers, <laughs> and they mixed them all in one pitcher. Oh my God, it was the most disgusting thing you've ever tasted. <laughs> I don't know. I used to drink forties crazy horse. That shit. Terrible. Yeah. yeah, when I was a kid, when I had to steal it, um, it was pretty much Old English and Schlitz malt liquor because they were easy to easy to snag off a shelf and stuff in your army jacket on the way out the door and it was a lot of booze yeah exactly exactly the malt liquor had the high alcohol content so you weren't looking you weren't looking to enjoy the flavor you were looking to get fucked up that's we would drink uh 240s of crazy horse Take my friend up from the pizza parlor, drink two forties of Crazy Horse while he's getting showered and changed. <laughs> and then we just like it'd be like eleven thirty at night. We're like, all right, we're fucked up. Let's go out. It's time to play. Yeah, we don't even have to drink when we go to the bar. <laughs> I'm the kind of drunk though. When I start drinking, I have to keep drinking or I have to go to sleep. Those are my only options. <laughs> <laughs> So, Hunter, I know you've done, like, now you've done about over 100 episodes of each podcast, Monster Men and Final Guys. I'm Everyone that is a fan of your work and, you know, the podcast knows how you and Jack met each other. But how did you guys, you know, meet Jason and decide to start Final Guys? Because that's one of our favorite podcasts, I think. I know I watch it every week. Wait, and I was just curious. <laughs> yeah, just oh. us two. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Both of us. <laughs> no, um, I know there's more. <laughs> I can't remember whether it was Jack or I first ran into Jason. I know Jason reviewed one of my books a few years ago and kind of started talking, but I think he was talking to Jack more. Um, but then one day, uh, Jason, was he does drinking with Jason. Yeah, I loved that. It was great, except none of the authors really drank. Yeah. <laughs> drank milk and water, and I'm like, what the hell? Are you getting all these guys straight? Are you... <laughs> Meanwhile, Jason would have, like, his whole setup of, you know, like, beer or whatever else he was drinking. <laughs> yeah. So, we did that show together the first time I was It was solidified when I was on the second time, when the day I found out I didn't have a brain tumor. So I went out, I got a tattoo, and, <laughs> and I went on his show, and it was unbelievable. I'm like, I can't even watch that. But, uh, yeah, but you know what, man? You just discovered you don't have a brain tumor. If you do it naked, I got respect for you. I'm so happy. 
<laughs> I can't imagine. I had woke, I woke up one day and I lost most of the hearing in my ear, in one of my ears. And I thought it was like wax. I didn't know it was an infection. And they checked. He goes, No, ears fine. So <laughs> I didn't tell. I didn't tell my wife. I was like, Yeah, I had to go get a test. And then like, did they think you did? <laughs> yes. So let's get a tattoo and get me the tequila. <laughs> Oh, by the way, honey, I'm fine. You didn't know I might be fucked up, but I'm fine. (laughs) And then uh, Jason had said he was trying to, he wanted to do a a show. I think he had some people in mind, but he's like, you know, they've never done a dog, Jack and I on Monster. You guys want to do that? For real, this is like the end of Cannonball Run. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Let me ask you a final couple of questions just because i've always wanted to ask you and this is we're finally talking yeah um favorite monster creature from the black lagoon Uh, okay okay i think i knew that i don't know where from but now that you say that it's probably that part about your mom being the creature from the black lagoon (laughs) yeah (laughs) and my dad was the damsel in distress it was a weird. <laughs> it's a strange upbringing, but we're Irish. That shit happens all the time. Yes. <laughs> um, and then my second, my other question was, who is your favorite author other than yourself who writes about monsters a lot? I don't read myself, so that's good. <laughs> oh, wow, dude! I hate to tell you this, but you probably should. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, somebody who's up uh, damn hand and now he's at Sever Press. Russell James, have you got uh, red claws? Oh, I'm reading that right now, actually. I was at lunch yesterday in a restaurant, started read that, and I got I got back late. Yeah, I'm I was so excited. He actually um he contacted us a, a little bit ago. I think it was shortly after we announced this, you know, summer series. And yeah, I just started it the other day, and I'm like, yeah, this is definitely going to be my jam. He's a nice, normal guy. Don't fuck him up. <laughs> <laughs> but he Cabiner the Damned is great. Uh, Monsters in the Clouds. He's really good. And um, there's a lot of them. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. <laughs> and, probably, and probably laugh my ass off all the way through. Yeah, Jeff Kinder. I, I just get the feeling writing for him is I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I'm kind of losing you in and out here, but uh, I feel the same way. Like you could say, okay, I need this book and I need it next week. Um, another, I can't think of a lot. That was the reason I asked you that question is I can't think of a lot of guys who focus pretty heavily on various monsters like you do. I mean, I'm like there's. Uh, Reagan Butcher does the Chupacabra stuff, which is pretty solid. Yeah, I gotta get him to write more. I might go kick his butt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those Chupacabra books were fucking, they were crazy. They were fucking blast, huh? <laughs> I got, uh, I have all four of them in beautiful. Nice. I didn't know such a thing existed. I think I have the first three in paperback just because Reagan's a hell of a nice guy and he sent them to me. But uh, I, did, I didn't know the hardbacks were a thing. Yeah, they, they were limited edition. They were, he gave them to me. Like, crazy. Wow. Like, 
but I treasure uh, Yeah, I would, too. Um, that's kind of like saying, so, you know, there's so many people. That just speaks to the industry, really. There's so many awesome people in this industry, you know. Yeah, you know what? I, I've found very few dickheads in this show. Yeah, I haven't. Even I mean, even, like, guys who have seen just ridiculous success have been super, super cool to me. Yeah. You know, and it blows you away, kind of, because you don't expect that from them. Jonathan Mayberry, I wasn't even a popcorn fan. <laughs> <laughs> it does, it does. And, like, John Taft just walked away with a Robert McCammon blurb on The Fearing. Yeah. I haven't read that yet. Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. it's so good. Because <laughs> I wasn't a fan of that last book that he wrote. I can't even remember. Um, yeah, I'd have to stretch. I'd have to look it up because I've read. Was... I've read everything, but and you could have been reading something that was published a while ago too, because Gray Matter Press just republished everything. That might have been... I love but... *The Boy's Life*. is amazing. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and I, knowing something of your reading taste, I would just guarantee you that you would love the hell out of the fearing that, you know what <laughs> and two i don't know if you uh know but he's gonna release it kind of like a serial so the first one came out i think actually on my anniversary july 9th and then the next book comes out i believe at the end of august oh cool oh by the way happy anniversary How many <laughs> thanks but yeah, and two, Shane and I are doing like a a whole series with them where like at, we did one that was about the background and then in August we're going to talk about the first book and then so on and so forth. It's going to be four volumes. I can't wait. That's, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it as a whole. Um, I'm also really fucking excited about Slash as a whole. Um, and, uh, I think we should tell people about that. You can get that book. It releases October 24th. Is that correct, Hunter? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) But regardless of when that fucker releases, you can pre-order it right now. You know what? Now I'm curious. Here's the beauty. This is what... (laughs) So it comes out... Both in paperback, and they make a, a gorgeous paperback that you can get for sixty dollars. Hardcover for twenty-five. But they also come out the same and audio. Oh wow, that's pretty unusual for the audio and everything to drop at the same time. Those Brits know what they're doing. Uh, yeah, apparently so. They they keep sending me books, so they don't really know what they're doing, but. Uh, other other than that lapse in judgment. Guys, oh. <laughs> I, I, that's why I'm so glad you guys have teamed up. It's My wife calls me the thing. <laughs> but it doesn't have a lot to do with monsters. <laughs> <laughs> and she's sitting in the back room laughing her ass off at me right now, I'm sure. <laughs> Always your wife pays attention when I do these things. My wife is told me more. She doesn't even remember the name of Final Guys. <laughs> she always goes, "What's that show you guys do? The the Last Monster?" 
final guy. I guess so. <laughs> he goes, is that the one with just you and Jack? I'm like, that's Monster Men. We filmed it in our house for 10 years. <laughs> no interest. Yeah, mine's kind of similar to Hunter. <laughs> My story. Like, I think I told Shane about it, or I shared, like, one of those mean things where it's, like, this person's, like, showing their horror collection and the other person's just, like, blank-faced. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm so proud of it. Like, yes, look at all. Oh, I found these cool books, or I got these cool collectibles, and I was just like, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> See, this is the thing. My wife likes to read my book. She loves horror, just as much as I do, like, um, non-horror related. This is our family's idea of the family. Hail Satan. And then our new house here, I'm starting a monthly Sundays with Satan. I'm going to invite people to the house. I'm going to cure for a special uh, <laughs> double feature of weird horror movies and barbecue and booze. Oh, that sounds like a blast. Yeah. Yeah. Dan air it. Yeah. Attempted to make them watch The Suckling. <laughs> suckling is a demon wind. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm guilty, I think, of having never seen that. Oh, Vinegar Syndrome. I watched The Suckling. <laughs> it's uh, the it's top in its class in back alley abortion horror movies. <laughs> and that's that's a hard class to top, too. Yeah, and Mike Gingle. <laughs> and Demon Wind, I just... Uh, yeah, I have that on my shutter queue. I don't know whether it's Amazing Bad, Amazing Good... I think it's amazing bad from what I've heard. <laughs> That's yeah, I agree. If you're gonna be bad, be bad enough to make me laugh at you. Right. <laughs> That's like I've been trying to get Shane to watch the uh, John Cage version or John Cage, Nicholas Cage version of Wicker Man. Why? Because <laughs> it's so terrible, but it's like I can't help but laugh every time I see it. You know. Shane and I have a limited number of heartbeats on this earth. Let's <laughs> I I have trouble watching Nicolas Cage because I always feel like I'm watching, you know, like if Christopher Walken were to eat William Shatner, that's what he would sound like. I know. He should just stick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those ones that's just so ridiculous. I think Jack just watched it last week. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he pulled out all his pubic hair as penance. <laughs> One at a time. <laughs> Why do I keep doing this to myself? <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're really gonna pay penance for that, you gotta pull them all out and then snort them. strange turn <laughs> yes it did <laughs> at the end uh, at the end of the last one we were breaking femurs and stuff so this is a little 
positive. Yeah. That was great. Shane's like, yeah, we need to read that second book or we'll break your other leg. <laughs> yeah, we run a very uh a very straightforward professional interview over here. <laughs> That's what we said. Honestly, when we started doing this, though, I don't know if you're still talking because you kind of faded out on me, but we wanted, we didn't want to interview people. We just wanted to fucking talk with people, you know, because it's more, I don't know, it's just more engaging, more real, it's more interesting. Right. And plus, it lets people get to know the person and know you guys. Yeah. Right, like, but like when everybody listens to this one, they'll know that we're all a bunch of fucking dicks for the most part. <laughs> and you know what? Who's better to critique horror and write horror than three dicks? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was laughing at myself when we started this out because everything you guys brought up, uh, no, nah, I hated that. No, that fucking sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Are you stupid? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, propagated because it was like, but then I'm like, yeah, but Candyman rocked and Hunter's soul. Uh, I didn't like Candyman. <laughs> 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 One day we'll just discuss horror movies. Uh, even the bad ones. Bad ones are always more fun to talk about. <laughs> Um, they are exceedingly fun to talk about. I think Rich and I probably spend more time talking about bad movies than we do good movies. Because oh, when the movie's really good, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was really great. I liked the performance. So, what are we going to have for dinner? <laughs> but a bad exactly. movie, I just like to pick it apart. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and in, and in extreme depth, the most minor of things can get torn apart if the movie is bad enough. Yeah. yeah. They're all just jackals. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we throw on. That's why um, I told Rich whenever I write movie reviews for uh, Horror DNA, my favorite ones to write are the ones where the movie sucked. Final guys are favorite. <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite favorite uh, movie review I ever wrote was one of a Jim Carrey movie that was just fucking obnoxious. Oh, well, there's a few of those. <laughs> I can't remember the name. Of it. it was the last one. He plays this brooding fucking detective. That, and that's basically what he does for the entire almost two hours is just walks around looking at stuff going. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> weird dude, man. Exactly. I I remember you talking about that movie, and it was funny because Shane and I'll you know recommend movies back and forth, talk about movies, and I remember he was so excited. He's like, "Yeah," he's like, "This movie looks like it's gonna kick ass." And then after he watched it, he's like, "That thing was a pile of shit." Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Jim Carrey, serious playing a cop. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, and I don't know that I've I've seen one horror film and I can't remember the name of it that Jim Carrey did a good job in, um, and I think that was a, 
accidental. Is that the thing with the numbers? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, it was like number thirty-seven or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't bad. Nah, nah. But this last one, don't even bother. No, I'm looking forward to the new Tarantino movie, Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> Everything. I do too. I have yet. Yeah, I have even the worst of Tarantino movies. I have tended to love. This one looks bonkers. Um, what I love is when he tries to act. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dust Till Dawn. He was. Awesome. Uh, he was awesome. I love Dust Till Dawn with a passion. <laughs> that movie gave me Salma Hayek in my life, so that's a very special movie to me. <laughs> We saw that in the movie theater. Me and my friend, like, everyone gets up, and I look at him, I'm, like, I'm not getting up. I'm going to watch this again, and we're going to wait for that chicken. Maybe we watched it three times. Uh, I was going to say, I watched that movie three times in a row the first time I ever saw it, so. That's um, a movie, because it's a crime movie, and then it becomes a vampire movie. Exactly, and it does. It's totally like you're watching a crime movie all the way up until they decide to hit that bar. <laughs> my daughters and I have thought about opening. I think there might be a copyright. Uh, there might be a copyright there, but you know what? Honestly, though, you can't copyright a title. So I wonder if you can copyright the title of something you named in a work. Huh. You risk you risk it and let me know. Yeah, as long as I can be like Cheech and outside just talking about all the kinds of pussy you can get. <laughs> you got fat pussy, skinny pussy. <laughs> oh my god, this is devolving into something. <laughs> you should never let me talk long. Uh, my yeah. <laughs> That's me too. The longer I go. <laughs> so anyway, I yeah, that's why I'm gonna blame it on the heat, and I'm gonna blame my bailing on the heat because I have my air conditioner off and I'm fucking oh. crying. Yeah, don't die. <laughs> yeah, I was first too. At least I'm I'm not in the fucking closet though. Yeah, Rich, come out of the closet, Rich. <laughs> you know. It's hot all in this house because we live in like a really old house and we only have like window units in certain parts of the house. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Love those old houses. <laughs> yeah. We live in a very small space, so when we have the AC going, it keeps us pretty cool. But when we don't have it going, it gets blazing hot in about 30 seconds. Like 100. Oh, no. Especially, you guys get so humid, too. Yeah, it was 97 when we started the show. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. Nine o'clock at night. That's insane. Yeah, we don't uh, we don't experience that much over here in Portland. Every great once in a while, um, but not a lot. We're Portland, 90s are our worst usually. This is just weird. It's an exceptional kind of. It's just dog rest. <laughs> no, that's not me. <laughs> that was, <laughs> Somebody fighting a gremlin? Yeah. 
you know, the funny thing is, that was, that was my wife taking our dogs outside. And they, they always have to make a show of it on the way out the door. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> but we have a little ugly fucking Chinese crusted who looks just like a gremlin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that might be my favorite quote of the night. Pink <laughs> <laughs> Rich's dog wrestling. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That will definitely go in the show notes somewhere, but sorry about that. <laughs> hey, hey, man, it's all good. Uh, you know, I, I really am going to bail. I'm getting the evil eye because i got to go cook my wife dinner. Dude, you didn't cook your wife dinner before we started this? No, no, we're usually 8, 8 p.m. eaters. We're not early people that way. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my schedule's all fucked up, dude. I go to I go to bed at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we'll, have to, <laughs> we'll have to trim this part of it off. <laughs> yeah, right. I, yeah, I've got I'll do a little bit of a little bit of editing, but got a little fat off the mortadella. <laughs> so, um, you guys have like an official close that you do, or? Not we don't have an official anything yet because what happened we weren't ready to do this and John Taft said well let's do this series on my book and we said that sounds cool and he said yeah and it can be audio right so all of a sudden we were the real fucking thing <laughs> we always wanted to do a podcast but we were always kind of hesitant for one reason or another. And once he approached us with that idea, we're like, well, let's just jump into it. We'll make it real informal, you know, just a conversation with authors and other, you know, creatives. And oh, we'll yeah. just do it. Yeah, you guys said this is episode number two? Yeah. This is, yep. Uh, and we'll get better. We will get a little bit more formal on the beginning and the ends, but we won't ever be formal in the middle part because it's too much fucking fun just letting it go and seeing where it goes. That's all the best podcast. Um, yeah, otherwise it just gets really dull. It sounds, you know, scripted and boring. And I mean, and some of them even are really scripted. And I hate that. Yeah. You know what? You'll find some authors, they're just talking points they have. Try to try to beat them through. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and we will. But I mean, we're pretty good at leading people off track, don't you think? <laughs> well, look, you can't go by me. I am so easily let off track. <laughs> I, I can't. Publicist's worst nightmare. <laughs> I can't wait until we try and write a synopsis for this episode. <laughs> um. Yeah. That would, let's see. Rich comes out of the closet, wrestles some dogs. <laughs> and scene. And scene, exactly. And I was just talking to my fucking window again, so sorry about that. <laughs> that's good. That's going to be our official closer from now on. Shane has devolved into talking to the goddamn window, so we're going to sign off now. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> Oh, man. I'll let you guys go. Yeah. 
it's been a blast, man. I really, really appreciate you talking to us and for taking so much time with us like this because we have rambled on and on and on. Absolutely. Anything at any time, you just let me know. Seriously, anything. Um, Thanks, Honor. Excellent, because my rant is coming due. Oh, what'd you say? I said that's excellent because my rent's coming due and. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Twenty-five dollars. Uh, we'll have you back anytime you want to come back, Hunter. And um, one of these days, I hope we can uh, join up with you on the Monster Men. I want to. Yeah, anytime, anytime. It's gonna be video, so just make yourselves pretty. Uh, yep. Oh, well, yeah. That'd be great. Uh, the, you want me to look pretty, I'll have to be talking to my window. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that'll work, too. Whatever. <laughs> all right, brother. Uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Take care. Uh, yeah, have a good night, guys. <laughs>